Hello, Velo News listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News, and I am coming at you with another tech podcast. We are in the Velo News podcast studio, and boy, is it glamorous with plastic shelves and things hanging off the walls. I am joined today uh, by Jason Smith, who's joining me from uh, Ceramic Speed. He is their chief technology officer. And I've got Jason here because I want to talk friction, and there's probably nobody in the bike industry that knows friction better than Jason Smith. You heard it here. Uh, so Jason, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me in, Dan. So uh, one of the things that I want to talk about today is um, how can you how can you make your gear faster without spending a fortune? And that really boils down, in my mind, to two things, friction and aerodynamics. And really, those two things are kind of related. Today, we're going to talk mostly just friction. Uh, that's sort of your your expertise, and so we're going to stick to that. And then in a future podcast, I'm going to deal a little bit more with aerodynamics. Um, but when it comes to friction, uh, that's what's slowing you down when you're essentially fighting the forces of your bicycle, your drivetrain, your wheels, your tires. All of those things that move are causing friction. And, and that's one of the things that can essentially slow you down, or at least you know waste your energy as you're fighting against it. So today I want to talk a little bit about uh, how you can reduce friction on your bike without spending a ton of money uh, to make your bike go faster for your next race. So let's start. Let's start real basic here. What is it, what is friction, and and how does it cost a cyclist energy in watts? Yep. Um, you mentioned it earlier. Um, friction is mostly the mechanical. Um, portions of your bicycle. And if I can step back a second, you also mentioned aero, but then you mentioned tires. Um, the way I look at it is with what costs a rider, just, just forward movement in general. You've got aero resistance, you've got the resistance of gravity, you've got rolling resistance of the tires, and then you've got what we consider drivetrain friction. So today, I'm not going to talk about aero or gravity is a, a no-brainer, or rolling resistance, which is an own category by itself. So today we're going to talk about drivetrain friction. And then what is drivetrain friction? We look at, well, I usually consider drivetrain friction as not just the power transfer from the pedals to the rear wheels, but we also include the, uh, the, the hub bearings, front wheel bearings, rear wheel bearings. So if you go from the front to the rear of the bike, you've got your front hubs, your pedal bearings, excuse me, the bearings in your front hubs, your pedal bearings, your bottom bracket bearings, um, your chain, and that's the chain articulating against itself and its interaction with the rings, the cogs, the pulley wheels. You've got the pulley wheel bearings, and then you've got the bearings in your rear hub. So you combine all this, and that's what's considered, or what we consider, drivetrain sure. friction. So individually, these are all very small parts, but mm -hmm. when you add them up together, it makes for a lot of moving parts that can be causing a lot of friction. Yep, right? Exactly. And that's where um, people sometimes don't appreciate drivetrain friction, even though, say, arrow, um, arrow losses are greater than drivetrain friction. And even rolling resistance is pretty high. Um, drivetrain friction itself is considerable. And when you get all of these little pieces, parts put together in an additive manner, it can save a fair amount of watts uh, for race day. Mm -hmm. And, to step back for a second and talk about, so what is, what is, I guess I'm skipped over a little bit of the physics on what is friction. And friction is anytime you have two parts sliding against each other, um, it takes some level of energy to move those parts against each other. And 
on a bicycle, anytime there's friction, that's actually um, wasted energy and the rider's energy is, is it's heat. Mm -hmm. So you're actually heating your chain, you're heating your bearings to, to some small level in watts. But for instance, if you have a, if you have a, a 20 watt light bulb on, you feel the heat coming from that and you're losing 20 watts in your drivetrain, believe it or not, that similar amount of heat is being put out by your drivetrain that's coming from your, your body. Mm -hmm. um, and one other thing that I just, this is getting real nitty nitty specific here. You? Yet, I, I don't uh, believe it at all. <laughs> you getting nitty and specific. Right? You said keep it under two hours. <laughs> this might be tough. <laughs> um, I mentioned mechanical friction, yet there's also believe it or not, viscous drag in a drivetrain. And that's what actually arrow is to some extent. Um, when you look at your wet chain lubes, a lot of times that's uh, the friction that is created in the chain isn't due to the all the chain pieces parts sliding against each other. You get viscous drag in there of the liquid lube. And that will, so it still creates, it still creates heat, but it's not actually hard parts sliding on each other. And also in a bearing, um, if your, your greases are very thick and viscous, it takes energy to slide the balls, the races, um, the cages against that viscosity. And yeah. so when it, when it comes down, when you have these, uh, this, this friction, it's a rider's output. Some amount of that power is being robbed by the drivetrain, turned into heat, and only a portion of the rider's power is going to the rear wheel for forward momentum. So just in terms of, of perspective here, and I don't need an exact number here, but just cumulatively, all of those things that you just mentioned, all the the, the bearings and the, the chain and all those moving parts and the chain lube, you know, cumulatively, compare it to, say, uh, an adjustment of your body position. I mean, are we talking, uh, you know, two watts, one watt, 10 mm. watts? What, what are we losing through all these cumulative parts in their friction? Good question. Um, there's two ways to look at it. One is a percentage efficiency, and another way to look at it is absolute wattage, say. And to talk about both of them, a lot of testing that we do at ceramic speed is at the 250-watt rider output level. It's kind of the middle of the road. You know, you've got racers that are putting out 400 watts. You've got everyday um, age group athletes that are putting out 200 watts. So we for the past six years, Friction Facts and now Ceramics Free, we've always done testing at 250 watts. So where that leads us is, let's say a drivetrain is 90% efficient. That means that of the 250 watts that a rider is putting into the drivetrain, 10% of that is wasted energy, is absorbed by the drivetrain, and 90% is actually going to the rear wheels. Mm. So now let's talk absolute wattage. So now we have 250 watts and 10%, that's 25 watts, right. is being absorbed by that drivetrain. So 225 watts are getting to the rear wheel. Mm -hmm. So any, any efficiency increases or frictional loss decreases that you can make on your drivetrain, all of a sudden it starts eating away at that 25 watts. And before you know it, your drivetrain might only be taking 10 or 15 watts, so you get an extra 10 watts going to the rear wheel. Interesting. So when you guys are all looking at your power meters on your next ride mm -hmm. and you see, you know, oh, I'm pushing 300 watts, well, actually, mm -hmm. what you're actually getting to your rear wheel might be something as low as, you know, 270 watts because yep. you're losing 10%. And now here's another question is um, you, you use the example of 90% of efficient. Mm -hmm. Is that good? 
Um, that's that's probably on the low side of efficiency. Um, we can get, let's look at the spectrum here. 90% is not unreasonable. Let's say you get a, a new bike with lower end components and you've got your thick grease on the chain. Um, you could easily be 90%. And some, I'm looking back at absolute now about 25 watts. When we do a full optimization, and this is going away from the you know, budget saving measures here, but if we did a full no cost, um, I mean, no cost. Uh, no cost considered. Thank you. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, optimization that we could probably get it. Um, I want to say down to about eight to 10 Watts for everything. Wow. Um, yeah. So, um, that's kind of the low to high spectrum of a reasonable, yeah, poor performing bike to awesome. Right. Wow. So 90% about, is poor yeah. performing. Yeah. It, it, it's it's crazy because if you look at a car transmission, sometimes those operate at 20 to 25% losses. So a bicycle drivetrain, relatively speaking, is, is a pretty, pretty efficient, efficient yeah. power transfer huh. system. And the thing that I think is neat is, and that's what I've based my kind of career on, is that, yeah, we can get it up into this 95%, mm -hmm. but you know, good portion of my day and my career and my life is getting at that extra half or sure. 1%. A lot of people will poo-poo that yeah. and say, oh my gosh, it's only a percent. But for a lot of people, and maybe the listeners of this podcast, the fact that they're just listening to this on drivetrain efficiency means that they might care about that half right. or 1% on right. race day. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I just use my, my donut power. It's <laughs> downhill. It's gravity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we talked about my, that. My lunch sale. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's get into the watts per dollar. Because, you know, I think Ceramic Speed makes a lot of very cool products. I've used a lot of them. But they're not cheap. So mm -hmm. let's start at the bottom here. Um, we often hear the term watts per dollar. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially saying, how much am I going to gain and how much am I going to spend to get those mm -hmm. gains? Um, it's always a tough one to swallow when we see the price tag as something that's really meant to make us just marginally faster. Mm -hmm. um, so how can a cyclist start to make his or her bike faster without investing in things like expensive bearings and pulleys? And, and what are the essentially, what are the low-cost ways to save watts? Mm -hmm. um, and that's a great place to start. Now, you mentioned, let me step aside for a second here, is watts versus dollars. There's also watts versus time, mm -hmm. how much time it takes to do some of these free, no-cost upgrades, sure, and sure. then also time versus experience. My time is worthless. Uh, so, so, yeah. all right, so we have all day to do all these upgrades. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. So you know, some of the listeners might actually have you know, like things real jobs <laughs> and stuff where they're like, you know, that's great, Jason. You told me how to do all this free stuff, but yeah. it's going to take me 10 hours to get it done. Right, right? Right, you know? right, yeah. so, it's always, the kids don't need to eat, I, really, yeah, do they? Exactly. Yeah. It's minor. Yeah. Um, so... If I got a new bike, I'd look at this from uh, what would I do if if I didn't want to spend any money, first thing, get a new bike and I want to make it faster. And I always look at it as not just say, hey, I want to increase efficiency, but I put a, a goal on it. I have a, a race in a couple of weeks here, but I you know, spend all my money on this bike or something. So what can I do right now? Um, one of the biggest um, contributors to overall drivetrain friction is the chain itself. And... First thing I do is remove the factory grease. Um, SRAM is a big time uh, 
thick, greasy cosmoline applying <laughs> company from Portugal. I'm sorry, sorry. I like sort of that came out wrong. I know, well, I know, I know. <laughs> Boy, I was like, yeah. as I'm in the middle, I'm like, where am I going with this? Wait, wait, Dan, please edit this. <laughs> okay, SRAM has great products. Yes, their chains come with this thick, greasy cosmoline type product. Granted, it's for anti-corrosion and shelf life and things so like that. So there's a purpose. Yeah, to there it. is a there is a purpose. Yeah. It's not just because they're lazy or cost savings right, or right. things like that. Right. However, one of the purposes um, is not ultimate efficiency from Ceram's point of view, which makes sense. So when you get one of these new chains, first thing you want to do is remove the factory grease. And let me step in for a second, even with Shimano chains. Shimano seals their chains, so they use a much lighter factory grease. Um, it's faster than the Cosmoline-type product that SRAM puts on, but it's still not as – you could get, do some easy things to get it a lot faster. Mm -hmm. So regardless of your chain manufacturer, you want to remove the factory grease first. Then at that point, you can essentially grab your Johnson's baby oil, and it's going to be faster than these – thicker products that are out there. Interesting. Um, so you almost can't go wrong. By I mean, is this, this. A, is this for somebody who doesn't own like a good chain lube? Is that essentially? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, yep. so if you didn't, if you just wanted to grab something yeah. off the shelf, yeah. uh, chances are probably by 95% that it's going to be faster than the thick grease that's mm -hmm. on, you know, uh, one of your SRAM chains. Interesting. Okay. okay. Yep. Um, and then we'll get into, okay, let's say you want to, Pick a chain loop. We'll get into that in a second. But mm -hmm. before I forget, I want to mention something because your your listeners might be thinking about it right now. Um, in the past, there's been a conception. There's actually a misconception that we know about now about removing the grease, factory grease from chains. And incorrectly, historically, it's been said, never remove the factory grease. And the reasoning was is that it's applied at the factory. It's applied under heat so the grease gets in all the nooks and crannies of the chain and you never want to remove it because your aftermarket grease or lubricant or coating will never get in there and do as good of a job. And that's um, completely incorrect with the chains that are on the market nowadays. Um, the, um, the reason that is, is at one point that was not incorrect. Um, before the split bushing chain, um, this invented in the mid-80s um, by Seti Sachs, um, there was solid bushing chains and the mm -hmm. tolerances weren't very tight or mm -hmm. excuse me, were tight mm -hmm. and there wasn't a lot of lateral flex. Sure. So inherent to that design, it was very difficult to get lubricant down inside. It almost had, it was like a, a snake, a maze to get lubricant back down. Yeah, so yeah. that made some sense mm -hmm. after the split bushing design. Now there really isn't a bushing. It's the plate shoulders that are pressed into the, the side plates of the chain. Mm -hmm. So it's it's much more um, it's easier for lubricant to get down into the chain after you remove the factory grease. Mm -hmm. And another thing that's been incur occurring recently is when we move up to the the 10, 11, 12 speed drivetrains, these chains are able to take more of a lateral flex. Right. And in order to do that, they open up the gaps in right. the chain. Right. As a matter of fact, Leonard Zinn did an article. I helped him on it within the last nine months where he had the pictures of the chain in the gaps mm -hmm. and showing how the lubricant can flow in these yeah. newer chains. Okay, so I droned on about that for a little bit, but that's <laughs> a little side note of why it's it's okay and advisable mm -hmm. to remove that. So get, get rid of the goop, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, 
And just yep. for, for those of you guys listening, if you don't know who Leonard Zinn is, uh, young up and comer, uh, <laughs> you probably never know. He, Leonard's been around a long time and knows, knows more than most people about yep. bicycle maintenance. And you can check out his book, uh, Zinn and the Art of Bicycle Maintenance, where you can probably read a lot more about this very topic. Uh, well, at least maintaining your bike, not so much about <laughs> friction. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that yep. in there. Um, so get rid of your, now here's a, here's a quick question, um, which could send us down another rabbit hole, but let's just try to touch on it quickly. Uh, what should people be using to remove that Cosmoline and uh, mm. the goop from their chain? Oh boy. <laughs> Gasoline. Oh, well, oh, you laugh. Okay. So, um, there's, there's a ton of different products and methods out there. And I'll just tell you what I do in the laboratory is we use ultrasonic cleaners. We break the chain. Use an ultrasonic cleaner, and we use heavy solvents. Um, we'll use odorless mineral spirits as the first step, and then we'll use either a, a lacquer thinner style product um, or a rubbing alcohol. And the reason we do that is um, the odorless mineral spirits are hydrocarbon based, and they'll dissolve the the greases and the gunk on the chain. And the ultrasonic cleaner gets everything through there and vibrating. Mm -hmm. But there's also uh, odorless mineral spirits will leave a film. On the chain even though it's a, a cleaner um there's some part of it that doesn't fully evaporate so then we move over to either the um, rubbing alcohol or lacquer thinner and that doesn't do as good of a job cleaning as odorless mineral spirits but it removes it's kind of the last step removes all the film so when those chains come out they're they're completely stripped mm -hmm. um now that do, do your listeners need to do that? Or Just bust out your ultrasonic right cleaner, guys. Okay. Come on. Right. Boy, that was yeah. easy for me to say because yeah, yeah. I do every day. So then um, what we usually recommend if uh, if you don't have an ultrasonic cleaner is kind of the chain pig, uh, chain cleaning tool where the, the brushes go through the chain. Um, that's second best. And then the question comes up of, well, what chain cleaner should I use? Um in the lab, we use a lot of nasty stuff, uh, but we have our vent hoods and it's all EPA'd out and, and we can get away with that. Um, for an everyday rider, there's some product out there that are that's that's biodegradable, non-toxic and so forth that actually works pretty well. Problem is, is just because it says that doesn't really mean if it is good or is not good. Um, so ca caustic seems to be the way to go, but caustic is also toxic yes. and could not, it's yes. not great for you. So th this might be a lesson in compromise. You know, you, you, the bottom line is cleaning your chain period is going to help. Yes. Um, so any, any degree so that is commercially available by your bike shop is probably yep. going to be better than nothing. Yes. And that's, and that's a good way to leave it is, is go ahead and, and maybe pick some on the, uh, on the blogs or, uh, forum, some of the recommended uh, um, products out there, and and the non-toxic and biodegradable is the way to go if you're cleaning in your driveway or in your garage mm -hmm. or in your street. So, right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, so now we know we need to clean the chain. That's step one. Mm -hmm. uh, baby oil. If you're nope. super broke and yep. spent just a little too much money on your nice race bike, um, but you know if you're gonna if you're gonna get a chain lube, what 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 can you look mm -hmm. for that's going to be fast? Now I know Ceramic Speed does their fully treated chains where mm -hmm. you can you know and we can talk about that in a minute. But that's a, that's an expensive proposition. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, I that's not in my budget. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do to lube my chain? Okay. So interestingly enough, a few years ago with Velo News, 
We did the well-known chain lubricant test. Yeah, I've heard 50, of these people, Bellow News. Yes. <laughs> just like, uh, I don't trust them. Yeah. <laughs> trust first. The date is good, the though. Is good. <laughs> <laughs> so there was 50-some lubricants on there. So that's an excellent place to start. And also, um, Ceramic Speed has all these old reports, old friction facts reports posted on a ceramic speed. So maybe afterwards I can give you the link and you can maybe put it up, but it's um, ceramic speed and then inside ceramic speed and then test data and reports. Mm -hmm. And the actual, the full Velo News chain lube right. reports are all up there. So you can go and look at this stuff. And we should we yeah. should mention that this is Friction Facts, which is what the company you owned mm -hmm. before you uh, worked for ceramic speed yep. and ceramic speed acquired yes. Friction Facts. Mm -hmm. So this is well before you were associated with ceramic speed mm -hmm. and this was totally objective. Yep. Uh, you, did a, you did a test with Velo News to test Chain mm -hmm. lubes that were on the market, mm -hmm. and this is the data that came from it. Yep, exactly. Um, one of the, so so we've got this whole range of of lubricants. So if you just don't want to grab your baby oil, say okay, well, which one's the fastest? And I have to mention, even though we're going um, on a, on a budget here, the fastest option is the Ceramic Speed UFO Drip. However, it's five dollars per application, it so does, it's yeah. it's it's fast. It's one hundred percent dry, so it won't pick up the grit. Yet it's it's not as inexpensive as some other options. It's like what seventy so, seventy so seventy a bottle. It's seventy five a bottle, and you yeah. get fifteen applications uh -huh. per bottle, so it's about five dollars. Um, so if you're if you're really committed to going fast in your next race, a good investment, but not exactly mm -hmm. cheap. Mm -hmm. We could say. So let's go to say second best, um, where you could go on a budget. So if you look at the spectrum of lubricants, um, you could say pick the next one, or the next fastest and down the line. But a lot of the next fastest are wet lubricants. And what we've learned over the years is that a wet lubricant might be fast in the lab from initial friction, but as soon as you go out on the road, it's going to pick up contaminants and grit, and the friction level is going to go up. Mm -hmm. So in the past couple of years, we've really been focusing on dry lubricants. And the advantages of a lot of dry lubricants are they're fast initially, plus after an hour or two ride, they don't pick up as much grit. The UFO drip product is actually 100% dry. Um, so that's one of the advantages of it is that um, it, over the course of a ride, it doesn't pick up contamination. And just another so, point of clarification yep. here for those of you who are not as well versed in this. So a, a dry lube versus a wet lube. A wet mm -hmm. lube kind of leaves a film on your chain. You can feel it. It, it feels oily, mm -hmm. essentially. Yep. A dry lube kind of dries almost like a wax. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that accurate? It I mean, is. It, and it doesn't have to be necessarily a wax. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that when you touch it with your fingers, it it's dry, it's dry or drier right. rather than as opposed to um, like a wet lubricant um, is, is like putting oil, you know, essentially mineral oil um, or even some thicker grease like uh, um, I won't mention products. But, yeah, it, it's all over the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So the, where I'm going with this is that when you when you pick a second best lubricant, you really want to pick a dry lubricant. You want to pick a fast dry lubricant. Mm -hmm. And um, just looking at that graph, I, I looked at two that I would – my boss is going to kill me. Martin, if you're listening. <laughs> we'll just bleep <laughs> this out. Know, so. <laughs> UFO drip number one. Yeah. Product. Then getting into like a rock and roll, absolute dry, um, you're going to lose a little efficiency. However, it's it's a pretty dry product um, and it'll it'll – it's it's a good alternative at a lower cost, and then something like um, I think it's it's a clean white lightning clean ride. Mm -hmm. I believe it is. Um, that's also a middle of the pack performer on the better side, mm -hmm. um, but it's it's also relatively dry. Um, 
so that's that's a couple of options. That would be the next step is clean your chain and you need to put um, like our product on or uh, a rock and roll uh-huh. or the white lightning dry products. I want to move on from chains here in just a second, but I want to ask one more question because I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of our audience have been riding and racing bikes for a very long mm-hmm. time. And, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint an exact arrow when this became sort of the thing, but uh, people started paraffin waxing their chain. Mm-hmm. Where does that fall on the spectrum of fast versus cheap versus efficient? Okay. Um, that falls in very fast. So um, very inexpensive, relatively time consuming. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So not a fun process. Dan has, Dan yeah. waxes his chain. I got nothing to do. <laughs> 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 I got a beer and hours to spend on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yes, yeah, good, but it takes a long time, and it's kind of it's pretty messy too. Yeah, you know, the, the the story of the paraffin wax was when I originally did the Velo News tests with uh, Leonard and Kaylee. Mm-hmm. We we grabbed I think the first round we had about twenty different lubricants, but then we also wanted to throw some oddball stuff in there. Yeah. We threw Vaseline in there, olive oil, which actually ended up testing really well. Nice. Some just some some crazy stuff. Yeah. One of them was paraffin wax. And that wasn't that oddball. That had been known from the 70s. I think in one of the movies, Breaking Away, they mm-hmm. actually you see them waxing their chains. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's test paraffin and see what happens. And we um, we did it right the first time. We actually had food-grade paraffin, so there's no additives and things like that. And I remember very clearly prepping the chain and testing it, thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible. This thing's a stiff mess. <laughs> Who yeah. in the heck ever you know, would ride with this yeah, on their bike? Yeah. And you put it on, and one of the interesting things about paraffin wax is it is stiff at first. And it takes about 10 or 15 minutes to really pick up efficiency as it works in. So it's really high at first. And I said, yep, you're, you're right. You know, I, don't even, I should just stop this test now. Yeah. But I didn't. I followed the protocol. Yeah, and, yeah. and all of a sudden, the, the friction started dropping over time. Next thing you know, it, it's the fastest that we tested out wow. of that, that group of lubricants. Yeah. I'm like, holy mackerel. Yeah. So. I sent an email to Kaylee immediately. I'm like, Kaylee, you will not believe what is in first place right now. Yeah. It's pure food grade paraffin wax. Yeah. And so that was quite interesting. And that was that was several years ago. And then um, we had we had our chains, and now there's competitors that do the, the optimized chains. And there's yeah. also you can buy your own wax kits. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to it, they're they're mostly paraffin based. Um, often there's, there's, uh, microscopic Teflon particles, there's molybdenum disulfide, there's tungstens, di- tungsten disulfide additives, but in one, one variant or another, a lot of these products are starting with that core paraffin, you know, paraffin yeah. wax base. So, yeah. so you guys grab your newspaper, shove it down mm-hmm. the front of your Jersey and paraffin wax your chain. You guys are vindicated. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to do. All right. So we've talked a lot about chains and, and, and I'm sure we could talk basically all day about chains. Uh, and, and I've had some conversations with you before about uh, the intricacies of chains and how many moving parts there mm-hmm. are and you know, all the, this very fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other places uh, within the drivetrain and, and bearings that uh, I want to I want to talk to. So let's let's jump to bearings for a minute. Um, wh- one of the things we often hear and have heard for at least the last I would say decade now mm-hmm. is ceramic coated bearings uh, have become you know synonymous with fast and mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's talk about that. Uh, what what are they first of all? What what kind of what are these bearings? Uh, and what do they do and how does ceramic make these bearings faster? Okay. Um, it's, it's easy to take some broad strokes, but 
ceramics faster. Mm -hmm. uh, let's start with what is when oftentimes these terms are used, ceramic bearings. Um, typically, um, it, it's a ceramic hybrid bearing versus all alloy um, bearing. What a ceramic hy hybrid bearing is, is the races are some type of alloy and the balls themselves are ceramic, typically silicon nitride. Mm -hmm. um, and that's usually what's on, on the market. On some of the smaller bearings, you'll find 100% ceramic bearings, but um, you don't see them too often. Um, the, the advantage of ceramic bearings from an efficiency standpoint is the, the balls are harder. But it goes a lot deeper than that. And this is where it's tough to, to just paint a really broad stroke. Sure, sure. The speed and efficiency of a bearing can come down to the, the precision of it, the ABEC numbers, the ball grade, um, the dimensional tolerances of the race, uh, the friction of the cage, um, the lubricant that's inside, and plus the seals. And one of the things that happens is when you get companies like, I'm just going to use ceramic speed as an example. Of course, the, the balls are super hard, super dense. You're going to get a lot of longevity out of them. They're super round. Um, but the how it's assembled and the dimensions and the tolerances are really tight on them. So they're going to be fast. For example, over in Denmark, um, when they do each bearing's hand built, mm -hmm. they'll measure to the micron the diameter of each of the balls that goes into the bearings. Wow! And the yeah, and the um, the balls are then selected so that it's equivalent uh, throughout the bearing. And they have a safe room over there. I guess these silicon nitride balls are pretty expensive. You walk in the safe room and. And on the racks, they'll have, say, the four millimeter ball section. And then they'll have codes that are plus one micron, plus two microns, dead on, wow. minus, minus. And they'll select, um, and I'm not sure about how the, the matrix works, but yeah. they'll select very specific micron sized balls to put in a single bearing so wow. that it's all balanced. Yeah. And I don't mean weight balance, I mean um, dimensionally, dimensionally balanced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the reason that I'm going down this path is it's, it's not a ceramic is always faster um with friction facts we we did a bunch of testing before ever came on board with ceramic speed and um we found that um there's a few ceramic bearing manufacturers that test poorly really and we feel that that they're just taking advantage of this. Hey, ceramic is faster. So we have these ceramic hybrid balls and they could be crappy balls. The dimensions could be poor. Mm -hmm. Seals can be poor. Now let's look at the flip side. And there are some high quality alloy um, bearing manufacturers out mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. So it really comes down to the, the quality of bearing. And then the ceramics tie in for that little bit extra and definitely for the longevity mm -hmm. of the bearing because of the, the ball hardness. So as a consumer, uh, how, do I, how do I tell which ones are good and which ones are not? Um, it's difficult. Um, <laughs> we, have, we have good bearing. Okay, so if I, let me step out <laughs> of my... If it says ceramic speed on it. I know. It is, yeah. yeah, Dan, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I teed that one up for I you. Jesus. You <laughs> <laughs> take off my ceramic. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, come on, yeah, no, I'm yeah. trying to be trying to be, trying trying to be objective, so, I know. So yeah. one of the things is um, uh, you can go on some of these companies' websites. If they, if they do testing, um, are, is the data available? 
Um, what materials are they using? Um, how's their reputation? Um, I can think off the top of my head, and I'm not going to mention them, um, but three or four high-quality manufacturers. And you can tell which ones they are. And that's the, because they are proud of, especially us, I'll just go back to ceramic speed, proud of what we do. Yeah. We test everything, the mm -hmm. quality's there, look at the warranty mm -hmm. and things like that. So, so let's yeah. let's talk about, let's go back to our watts per dollar though. So mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a budget conscious racer. Uh, I want ceramic speed bearings, but I probably can't afford mm -hmm. them because they're, they're not cheap. Um, they're, they're designed for the top echelons of the sport and, you know, people who really want to invest in going fast and they, and they, it seems like they deliver on that promise. But what if I don't want to spend that kind of money? Um, is there something I can mm -hmm. do to upgrade my stock bearings on my bike that I just bought? Um, that'll save me some lots. Mm -hmm. Yep. Excellent question. I'm glad we're going into this because I just, I just went down this path of dimensions and, and actual balls and, and the races. And there's a lot more to a bearing than that. So let's step aside from, from the, the balls and, and the races and the cages and lubrication and seals are big contributors to friction. Um, to some extent, uh, probably worst case scenario, let's, let's say maybe, oh, not worst case smart because you could pour like toothpaste style grease in a bearing, it could slow you down. But typically, uh, lubricant and seals could take up to about, let's say, 40% of, of, the, of the friction. So it's wow. a fair amount. It's, yeah. it's not something light. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, here's, a, here's a, the good situation. If, if you had a fast bearing, you'd have a grease that's a fast grease, about 25% fill rate, and you'd have light contact seals. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. But we can... I'm going to guide you guys to get there okay <laughs> so um and I'm, I'm trying to be unbiased you're, here you're, you're just really dancing right around all your products <laughs> so let's how do we get there yeah. without spending a lot of money yeah so now this is where we talked about watts versus money versus watts versus time versus mm -hmm. watts versus experience so in order to do this you're going to have to have a little knowledge on, on bearings and some time because you're going to be disassembling your hub but it's actually i used to be afraid of it um but it's it's not that big a deal once you've done it a couple times. You uh, can take your hub apart. Um, you pop your most – now, one caveat, Shimano wheels, I think they're still using cup and cone bearings. Mm -hmm. So this would be a little more difficult because they don't have the cartridge bearings. So you want to ensure you're using yeah. the cartridge stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. cartridge is, is much easier. So mm -hmm. you pull your cartridge bearings out. The first thing you do is you want to pull that seal off. And don't be afraid of the seal. Um, usually they're, they're thicker rubber. You can poke um, – a thin screwdriver or you know, dull exacto knife in there and pop them out. Mm -hmm. And what you're going to see is, is the grease inside there. When you pop both sides of the seal, first thing you want to do is flush the grease mm -hmm. and then oh, put them overnight into some solvent or that same degreaser that you're using on your chain. Mm -hmm. And um, when you flush the, the grease, you want to replace it with um, – Oh boy, here we go again. I say <laughs> ceramic speed TT grease. Oh, yeah. um, there's a on okay. ceramic speed's website. We did back with friction facts yep. before ceramic speed owned us. We did a full bearing lubrication test. Right. Grab that test, and it'll show you some of the fastest ceramic speed and non ceramic speed right. products. Mm -hmm. But they're not like, for instance, um, ceramic speed TT grease, which mm -hmm. is our 
which is our D fast grease is fourteen dollars for a tube. Okay, so it's going to cost you a little bit of money, but I'll, it's not I'll jump in. And, I mean, yep. I know I, we it, when I worked in the shops, uh, we used a lot of slick honey, mm-hmm. so yep. that would be one option. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a grease, but it's thinner. Uh, mm-hmm. It definitely you'll feel once you feel it with your fingers, mm-hmm. you go, oh, this stuff is really slippery. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason Jason's not going to say anything, but I'm going to tell <laughs> yeah. you, slick honey is a good alternative. And for, on this, actually, I'll add that on the spectrum, it's quite interesting. Is when you get that Shimano all around grease and you actually put in your fingers, it, 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 it you know, it's tacky. It mm. sticks. Yeah. Um, you, you, you get the um, little lines mm-hmm. and you're, you're pulling it apart. Yeah, yeah. And then the next step is like the sick, slick honey grease where it's still relatively viscous, but it is slick. Yeah. And then you get into um, some of the thinner greases and then you get into the products. Um, if you go to that, that report, there's two products on there. Ceramic seeds, one of them. There's another, it's called a grease, but these are actually advanced greases where they're very thin, almost foamy. Mm-hmm. So the viscosity is really light. The ceramic speed TT grease, the way it works is it's a very thin grease and then under load, the viscosity of it changes to uh, almost liquid. Yeah. So it's really cool. So you have this viscous, viscous, viscous grease that stays in there, but then under load mm-hmm. at that microscopic contact point between the balls and the races, viscosity changes instantly mm-hmm. and then it comes back so that's that's the way this stuff works but right. i guess where i'm going with this is on the spectrum yeah you got the shimano all around tacky mm-hmm. gluey sticky stuff you don't want well you shouldn't see there's plate there's a reason for everything mm-hmm. um and then like the slick honey is kind of middle of the road sure. and then you're you have two really extreme specific products mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. TT grease and this other one that, that are really fast. You're all going to have to go to the ceramic speed yeah. website to find so, out. It's like a, yeah. it's like a scavenger. Yeah. Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to get you there. I'm also cautious of not mentioning competitors. Yeah. Either, no, so. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know what's not. worse. I'm going to send an email to your boss <laughs> yeah, right yeah, after I, this. And you're like, you won't believe <laughs> what he uh, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yep. so basically if I have the money, uh, say I do have the money to upgrade like one, set of my bearings what's the most important bearing set that i could upgrade to like a ceramic speed mm-hmm. like if i want to yeah. if i want to say okay I've, I've i stumbled on this bag of cash this morning and mm-hmm. i want to make my bike faster but what's what's the biggest bang for my buck great question um never really thought about it that way is going to be one of your if you just one pair of bearings yeah um probably rear wheel rear wheel uh, bearings um, the reason, so let's look at your bottom bracket bearings, pedal bearings, and your hub bearings. See, I was going to guess bottom bracket. Ah, yeah. um, the savings are greater on your, your wheel bearings because of the RPM. Uh-huh. Um, the loading, your bottom bracket and your hub bearings, the loading is actually similar. It's mm-hmm. a little bit over um, 90 to 100 pounds um, on, on any of the bearings, but the hub bearings spin a lot faster. So it's wiser to upgrade those and get the much larger delta watt savings that you can get from that. Um, and but now this is pure efficiency. Now here's a flip side is you would want to upgrade your bottom bracket bearings for longevity mm. because those see a lot of different forces and fail. I believe those fail more often than hub bearings, but sure. if it's straight efficiency, you get a bigger delta by upgrading mm. your, uh, your wheel okay. bearings. So watts per dollar, Wheel bearings. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And then um, real quick on the um, on the seals, one of the differences between a high-quality manufacturer bearings and a crappy one is the seals, and it's the dimensions of the seals. When a seal is there to, to keep out um, you know, contaminants and things like that from the bearings, the easiest way for a bearing manufacturer to do that is just undersize their seals. Their tolerances can be way off. It doesn't matter. They slap it in there and it acts like an elastic band. Sure, it's going to keep out the contaminants, but then you have the 
the inner diameter of that seal on the inner race, just like a rubber band, yeah, squeezing yeah. it. And that the friction increases amazing Honestly, on that. Yeah. On the flip side, we do have some manufacturers out there um, that are actually some of the, the higher end manufacturers. And they kind of cheat a little bit because they put what's called a non-contact mm -hmm. seal in there. And there's actually a gap. So that's the same thing as they get away with it because they don't have to have tight tolerances. They know there's going to be a gap. So whether it's a small gap, big gap, doesn't matter. Throw that seal in. Some of the better bearing manufacturers use what's called light contact seals. So the seal, the inner diameter, the inner lip, or the inner lip of that seal just barely touches the inner race. Okay. So it acts as a barrier, yet it doesn't grasp or the elastic rubber band effect on that inner race. So mm -hmm. it's the balance between just barely touching for minimal frictional increase plus contaminant protection. Mm -hmm. Some of, I know some of our products, all of our products use those types of seals, um, but some of them actually have grooves. So you get another, so this, this seal goes into the groove, which then is another barrier from contaminants, but the same effect it just barely touches the inside of that groove on the inner mm -hmm. race. So you can trim where I'm going, Dan. Sorry for that long winded no, explanation. No, that's great. You can trim. No, the no, I'm leaving. If you it really off. want to? So. You, you can trim. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, it's been we, done. We are at the bottom of the rabbit hole. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so you can take your crappy seals yeah. out, and if they're too tight, you can get the exacto knife out or fingernail scissors and literally trim them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There so. is there is at least one person listening to this podcast <laughs> that's going to do that. Yeah, I'm so sorry. And they're going to send me a picture that. of it. I, know, and I uh, tried it, and I'm going to be in so much trouble. Um, all right. So, uh, in, uh, as another measurement number, mm -hmm. say I, I go and I swap out my rear wheel bearing with a ceramic speed bearing. Mm -hmm. What, what kind of watt savings yeah. am I going to get just from that? And it's, it's going to be a fair amount. Um, if you have a, a slower bearing, slower bearing stock, thicker grease, poor quality seals, it's going to run around five or six Watts. It's wow. actually, it's pretty amazing. That's huge, that's, actually, yes. Yeah. That's because of the RPM. Yeah. Um, ceramic speed and, and and potentially some of the other higher quality manufacturers but i'll speak for us we mm -hmm. can get down around three quarters of a watt to one watt with the tt grease the, the bearings themselves and the light contact seals so wow. so uh, a user upgrading for that cost for a set of rear wheel bearings is probably let's say four Four to six, minimum of four. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. wow. so it's not too shabby. That's mm -hmm. that's quite a bit, actually. I know. I know it doesn't sound like much when you really consider, like, oh, I, well, I climb at four hundred watts or whatever. Yeah. I don't climb at four hundred watts, but, yeah. uh, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. I mean, it sounds like a small number, but again, these are things that that really add up. And and the whole idea is to reduce as much friction without spending a fortune. You know, if if you're going to get five watts from that one upgrade, and maybe you know another couple watts from from using a better lube all of a sudden you're, you're looking at you know 10 watts that's, mm -hmm. that's the difference between winning a race and losing it you know yep. um let's hop back to drivetrains uh and one of the i would say one of the more polarizing uh products that ceramic speed puts on the market is the oversized pulley wheel set mm -hmm. and uh the big criticism from from people is not that it doesn't work is that it's very expensive so the watts per dollar is pretty high yeah, they were, well, yep. I guess low. I don't. Yeah, anyway, you spend a lot of money for what would be considered yeah. not a lot of watts. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. Um, how do these? First of all, how do they reduce drivetrain friction? Yep. And can the size of your chain rings have a similar effect? Yes, on both. Um, uh -huh. So how do the OSPWs work from a theoretical standpoint? Um, you have larger pulley wheels and potentially lighter cage tension. 
and higher quality bearings. So as we mentioned earlier, friction is created in the chain under tension. When the individual links of the chain bend, the amount of degrees of bend will is, is linear to the amount of friction. So let's say you have 10 or 11 tooth pulley wheels. We'll just use 10 because it's a round number. Um, as that chain enters into that pulley wheel, it bends 36 degrees, comes out, bends back 36, next pulley wheel, in, out, so forth. When you use larger pulleys, pulley wheels, that angle of bend decreases when it's under tension. So if you can have that amount of bend as it goes in and out of the pulley wheels, that's going to be your friction savings. Mm -hmm. Another friction savings is larger pulley wheels inherently spin at a slower RPM, um, given the same cadence and everything else the same. So you have your bearings spinning at a slower rate. And then also, um, if the manufacturer has higher quality bearings, that helps out. And then one of the other things I know that, that we do is we decrease the, cane, the chain tension or give the ability to decrease the cage tension. Um, on, uh, I'm not sure about the new system. The older ceramics use system had a, a low, medium, and high mm -hmm. tension setting. Yeah, I remember installing mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. And that gives the user a choice for if it's a very smooth Kona surface, you want to put it on low. If it's a little bumpier surface, um, surface, you put it on medium or high. The reason that is done is that you got your big pulley wheels and your bearings, but a big portion of the savings is if you can just decrease the tension on that chain itself, overall, every, it's kind of additive, everything goes together. Mm -hmm. So from a theoretical standpoint, that's where an OSPW can save you a fair amount of watts. Um, with the the ceramic speed product, it starts at 2.4 watts when you compare, if you swapped out a standard Dura-Ace um, rear derailleur. Right. And the thing we always say, it starts at 2.4 watts. And this would be the same with any OSPW. As the chain gets dirtier, mm. the delta increases. Right. Because as that chain's dirtier, it takes even more friction to bend it that 36 degrees. Right. right. But if it's only 15 degrees you're bending, even if it's the same dirtiness of a chain, mm -hmm. um, it just takes that much less sure, friction. Sure. So the delta increases, yeah. Now, I guess my my big question is, uh, <laughs> it is really expensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you look at a guy like Peter Sagan, right? And he's got the OSPW, he's got the ceramic speed UFO treated mm -hmm. chain. He's got all these ceramic speed bearings. How many watts is he saving total if you upgrade all this stuff? Uh, how many watts is he saving versus mm. how many dollars are we spending? I mean, mm -hmm. I could go on the website and add up all the prices, yeah. but yeah. What, what's the total wattage savings save I mean, over a Dura-Ace uh, drivetrain? So uh, I'm just thinking um, out loud here. I mean, let's use the kind of not worst case scenario, but 25 to 10, I mean, saving about maybe 15 watts. Depending on where his starting point is, if it's really fast, 10 watts maybe, um, middle of the road, uh, let's say 12 up to 15. So so there's that kind of range there. And again, it really depends on the starting point. Mm -hmm. So is it worth it? You just mentioned you can get on and add all the prices up. Right. That's entirely up to uh -huh. you. Yeah, yeah. So now here's what I like to do is put that into a percentage perspective. So um, and actually for somebody like, Peter, the numbers would be a lot higher because sure. it's all, it's kind of linear, but mm -hmm. let's go back to this 250 watt scenario. Um, 
15 watts. Um, oh boy, 6%. So 6%, 6% for, is huge. And I'm going to be conservative, throw a bigger number out there. Let's say you had $1,500 or $2,000 even that you bought every ceramic speed product. I think mm -hmm. that's even a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. So you're going to sit 6% savings. It's going to cost you a couple thousand dollars. Now I'm going to go to my sales pitch for a second here. As you have a $10,000 bike, obviously you're going to buy that for racing to do well. Most, most people would. Another 20% will get you another 6%. Savings, it's not yeah. that bad. Right. Um, now then you go back to the other cost saving side. Some of the things that we talked about here, you can still get a chunk of that mm -hmm. for much lower cost. Sure. But if you really want that that few percent, which yeah. can make a big difference on race day, mm -hmm. um, the value, right? Grand unbiased, but the value's there mm -hmm. to spend some money on on the, the real products. Right. They'll kind of do it for you. Well, you and know? you keep bringing up an important point, which is how much time do you want to spend mm -hmm. on this? I mean, I joke, but quite frankly, I've got a four year old kid at home. I got a mm -hmm. family. I got a job that requires right. a lot of time. I, you know. I, I just spent, you know, God, an entire Saturday replacing the catalytic mm -hmm. converter on my truck where I could have spent a lot more money and just had it done in a couple mm -hmm. hours, but I didn't want to spend the money. So, you yeah. know, you're always balancing that yeah. time versus money versus, yeah. you know, benefit. Yeah. So, you know, some of the people listening are going to say, oh, two grand for 6% saving. I mean, that's not bad. Mm -hmm. But other people are going to be like, I am never going to exactly. spend that much money. <laughs> and, and that's where it's up to the individual yeah. cyclist or triathlete right. on where right. they are. And then- Another way to look at it is training time. Mm -hmm. uh, this, you know, I, it's polarizing again. Wow, I spend thousands of dollars for a coach mm -hmm. and eating healthy, and my wife and kids upset at me because yeah. I'm training all the time. But yeah. holy mackerel, you can spend two thousand bucks and get that six percent. Yeah, right. yeah right. <laughs> that's a no-brainer. Yeah. So it's really, it's it's really relative mm -hmm. on the amount of time you have, the amount of time you want to spend on right. upgrading and, and yeah, we can priorities. tell you what's out yeah. there, but we can't pull yeah. your wallet out yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to talk just quickly. We're coming up on an hour. We have to keep this under seven hours today. Uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, you, you did some, uh, drivetrain testing with Leonard Zinn recently mm -hmm. for uh, an upcoming issue of Vela News. You can read mm -hmm. all about it. So I'm not going to blow too much of the surprise. Mm -hmm. Um, are one by drivetrains faster than two by drivetrains? Nope. Okay. No, I, don't want, yeah, all, I was like, I don't want to spill. That's all, that's all I want you to say. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> um, and you also did some testing, uh, with cycling tips about mm -hmm. clutch derailers. Uh, are you losing a lot of Watts to clutch derailers? Uh, no, you're not. Okay. So those are some common, uh, questions that you have very simple answers to right now, but if you mm -hmm. want to find out the detailed answers, uh, pick up the Vela news gear mm -hmm. issue, which will be coming out in March. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, I guess you could go to our competitors if you want and read that other <laughs> stupid article. That's dumb. Um, but, uh, generally speaking, it seems like drivetrain manufacturers have done their homework yeah. in terms of, uh, understanding what people want and balancing that against what they can do. So, you know, mm -hmm. in other words, they didn't create one by drivetrains and then all of a sudden ignore friction and, and mm -hmm. Watts and all that. Mm -hmm. So you can safely go to those sorts of things. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I'm always cautious about is, is I, I live friction, mm -hmm. but I forget that you have to worry about dropping chains and, right. and other stuff. You know, for instance, the practical Cosmo, matters. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah, the Cosmoline that SRAM puts on chain. Right. There's a reason they put there's it on there. Reason, yeah, yeah. I, I crap on and make fun of SRAM, but there's definitely a reason they put this stuff on there. Sure, sure. So I can, you know, forget about it. It's not yeah. very fast. Yeah. And that's where 
it's a balancing act. For instance, um, you know, the one by, I could talk. I said, nope, it's not as fast. Yeah. But then we look at arrow and weight savings mm -hmm. that might come with one by. And I think Leonard's going to discuss this in his article right, of right. it's not black and white. Right. You know, it rarely it, is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's something that I think is valuable is when you get these tests, mm -hmm. it's just one more piece of information for the cyclist, triathlete, and the listener out there sure. that then might you know, take this in their decision-making mm -hmm. process on how they want to ride, how they want to do yeah. their maintenance, right. and how they want to race. I mean, so. and let's let's put this in, in even further context here is we haven't even talked about aerodynamics. I know. So, I mean, that's, that's a whole <laughs> separate conversation. Uh, so, you know, this is one small piece of the puzzle. And, you know, again, it, we can't, we can't pull your wallet out for you and, and spend money for you, but we can tell you what's out there. So think of this conversation as a guide for uh, you accomplishing the fastest bike you can within the parameters that you've set for yourself, which is dollars mm -hmm. uh, and, and really time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything pressing that we should mention before we wrap it up here? We're, we're coming up on an hour and um, I don't want to... I mean, everybody's finishing their commute by now, and you know, <laughs> what what do we forget? What do you, what do people oh. need to know before they they dive in to start doing all this stuff? You know, this is terrible. I just look through my notes here real quick. Um, don't ever, if you're going to do a race, don't ever race on a new chain mm. because the one of the easiest ways to save watts is break that chain in, yeah. and that's a mistake I think a lot of people make. Is, oh, yeah. brand new shiny chain, it's, yeah. it's going to be fast. Yeah. So break your chain in for about three or four hours um, before you ride, and you'll get another watt or two. Cool. And um, and also um, just when you race, if you're using a two by, be cognizant of your gear selection and your cross chaining. And mm -hmm. that's another report that's uh, available on the site is how you actually shift and which rings and cogs you use mm -hmm. for the most efficient uh, shifting. But Jason, yeah. it's never my fault. It's never my fault. It's always the bike's fault. Yep. Yeah. You can only blame so much on the bike. Right? Yeah. I, I blame the rest on my beer gut. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Jason, yep. thank you very, very much for joining me today. That's yes, it's pretty been a fascinating pleasure. stuff. And yep. I know we could probably talk for another three hours about this stuff, uh -huh. but uh, maybe we'll do a part two at some point. Yeah. Um, and for all of you guys listening, uh, first of all, be sure to email Jason's boss and tell him that he was pitching other products mm. that are not ceramics. <laughs> no, don't do that. Please don't do that. Uh, uh, if you have questions about this podcast, anything we talked about today, please do tweet at me at Brown Dan, or feel free to email webletters at velonews.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and the other Velonews podcasts in our suite of podcasts and like and comment and tell us all the wonderful things you love about us because we, we need that to feed our egos. <laughs> thank you again, Jason. And thank you guys all, right, all you. for listening. And we'll see you next time.